shining a light on autism and life as an autistic person. Welcome to My Friend Autism, a podcast breaking down barriers, stigma and misconceptions around autism while increasing understanding and acceptance of the autistic community. And now, here's your neurodivergent host, Orion Kelly. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for listening once again, or if this is your first time checking out my podcast, well, I'm super appreciative of you taking the time to listen to my friend Autism. I'm Orion Kelly. I'm autistic. My purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education, and growth opportunities through open, honest, and engaging conversations. We're here to break down some stigmas around autism and increase that level of understanding, acceptance, and appreciation of the autistic community. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Catch up on all the episodes at orionkelly.com.au. All right, now on this podcast, I want to break down what autism is. I get this question a lot. And let's explore the signs and traits used to diagnose autism. I guess the question is, could you be autistic? Well, let's find out. But first, a quick disclaimer. Clearly, I am not a medical professional. This podcast should not be used as a diagnostic tool. I'm just an autistic guy using my lived experiences to explain it from my point of view. So if that resonates with you, then you may wish to seek assessment by a medical professional. Okay, so let's start at the start. Autism. Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD. It's a neurodevelopmental condition that involves persistent challenges in social interaction speech, and non-verbal communication and restricted repetitive behaviours. Do I have autism? I have kids and a pet cat. Like I have a backpack, but I don't shove my autism in my backpack every day and then wander out the door. Hey, have you got your autism? Yeah, no, no, I've got my autism. Yeah, what about your lunch? Oh, I forgot my lunch. Should have forgot my autism and took my lunch. <laughs> So let's talk diagnostic areas. The DSM-5 sets out the criteria to assist healthcare professionals in diagnosing autism. All right, so the criteria is broken down into two main areas. There's the social communication and interaction, and there's the restricted repetitive behaviours. The DSM-5 uses the word deficits. I'm not up for that. That just makes no... They're differences, right? They're challenges. I'm going to use the word challenges. I'm going to replace it with the word challenges, right? This is the medical model versus the social model. Challenges and strengths are what I'm going for, not, not deficits. And by the way, I'm not going to get into the medical model, social model in like a whole podcast, but in a nutshell, you know, the medical model says that you have a disability and it's your disability that's disabling you. So let's say, you know, there's a dude in a wheelchair. The fact they're in a wheelchair is disabling them from getting around the world. The social model says, well, in fact, it's the community and the lack of ramps that is disabling the person in a wheelchair, right? So the, the medical model says it's your fault, and the social model says, well, hang on, if there's a dude in a wheelchair and there's zero ramps, I think we're the ones disabling this person's ability to live their life. Does that make sense? Okay, so challenges and strengths. I'm going to go with that, change a few words around here. All right, let's start with the first main area, social communication and interaction, signs and traits. Now, as part of this, it breaks down persistent challenges with social, emotional, reciproc- 
reciprocity. Oh, I can never say this word. Oh, this is horrible. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. You know what? Get stuffed. Persistent challenges with nonverbal community of behaviours used for social interaction and persistent challenges in developing, maintaining and understanding relationship. Okay, so what does that actually mean? Let's break it down with some actual signs and traits to look out for. Oh, and by the way, there's an amazing document by Amaze, who are an autism organisation in Victoria, Australia. You should check out the Amaze website. It's obviously A-M-A-Z-E. It's really just a fantastic little what is autism document, and I think you'll find it really helpful. Okay, so I'm using that as inspiration. So some social communication and interaction traits. Do you find two-way conversations difficult? Yes. As an autistic person, the first part is small talk. Two-way conversations can often be small talk and irrelevant stuff, almost in like a dance, a social dance. Well, as an autistic guy, like I absolutely find it super hard to have conversations. Starting them, not good. Maintaining them, not good. Ending them, very bad. I don't know if I've ever ended a conversation in a, in a good way or a phone conversation. I always say the wrong things and, you know, like, I'm the guy where, you know, like someone will bring you a meal, enjoy your dinner. Yeah, you too. Like, it's what? They're not going to, what, 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 you're encouraging him to enjoy my dinner? What are, we, what are you saying? It's like, the starting of conversations is hard. As an autistic person, you may only have specific topics you can talk about or want to talk about. Also, you may just, because it is clearly part of the social communication interaction is two of the main diagnostic areas, you're going to struggle with these types of two-way conversations. That also includes not only talking to people, but talking to people with them talking to you, right? A two-way conversation means you're talking to someone, but they do, it, they do talking as well. Not, oh, that's an interesting name, Orion. And then I go on a 10-minute rant about the constellation Orion. You, you see what I'm saying? That's not a two-way conversation. That's me. And also to staying on topic. So as an autistic person, you may not only not understand that you've, you've talked too much, and you haven't given the other person a chance to talk. Clearly, I would never understand they're giving me signals or signs that I should shut up now or they've had enough or they want to go. Staying on topic, they might start asking you about stuff or talking to you about stuff. Something gets triggered in your brain, bang, you're off, right? Not away from them, but you're off. And there's nothing about the conversation that was happening that is still happening. The whole thing's a mess. These two-way conversation minefields, that's a trait. Do you need help interacting with others? This is part of it too, right? I mean, I, like, I just like being alone. I like my own time, my own space. I like interacting with my family, you know, my wife, my kids, but I'm not like a, especially going out and about to interact with people. In fact, I've got social anxiety disorder as a diagnosis. Like, so you know, if I leave the house to put the bins out or go out in the backyard and like, people walk by, I almost want to run for a hole, right? I like to be alone. I find that anxious. You may want to join in something, right? There might be something that actually interests you, but you don't actually know how, or you feel like you don't know if that would be something you could do, or do you see what I'm saying? It's like, oh, that looks kind of cool, but I mean, I'm not invited over there, and I'm, don't, I usually ignore them, but how, how, do I, how do I get into this? I don't really know what, what you do. It sounds strange, I guess. Another thing too is clearly the relationship stuff, right? So if you find it hard to make friends, right, to keep friends, whether it's in school, in work, or in your social life. It's just one of those signs, traits to look out for. Another sign is this seemingly perceived lack of interest. Do people say you just don't look interested? Do you seem uninterested? Let's talk about it. For starters, eye contact. There's a neurotypical rule that is non-autistic rule. To show respect, 
You need to look at someone in the eyes when they're talking to you. Now, the first thing about this is if you have a disability and looking someone in the eye is a known trigger, a known sensory trigger, in fact, really impedes, disables your ability to process the conversation and be respectful in a way where you're hearing it, processing it and contributing to it. Well, it comes down to you can't win because either I show respect by kind of looking everywhere and processing or I show respect to you by looking you in the eye and and having no idea what just happened. There's a simple choice here. It just comes down to it. This isn't a disrespect thing. I'm showing respect by not looking at you because I'm processing what you're saying and hoping to contribute. You can be told by people that you seem rude or arrogant or nonchalant or disinterested because you never make eye contact. Well, that's, that's a sign. You may not respond to your name. This happens, happens a lot with our son. You'll say their name over and over and over and over. It's like they've, they've just suddenly got stuck in a hole. I'm sorry, you're dropping out. You know, like it's, they don't respond. They're just, hello. Oh, sometimes I've got to literally walk up to my son in his face, right? Looking in, looking in his face, right in his grill. And say his name and ask the question. You can appear to be in your own world. That's another, I guess that's another part of that, responding to your name. But it's, a, it's an additional sign or trait. You just have this overall persona that you're in your own world. Running your own race. What, what do they say? You're uh, dancing to the beat of your own drum. I mean, that kind of stuff, right? This is, again, someone like me. Classic me. You just appear to be in your own world. And not, not, people say this a lot, and I, I think they're saying it as an insult. I, I take it as a compliment. Well, thank God. Because the last thing you want to do is live in your world. Like what? Your world is for you. Like this is everyone should be living in their own world. This is the problem with most people's mental health. If you keep living in everyone else's world, you're always going to feel like crap. Live in your own world. All right. So another actual sign trait for this social communication and interaction part of a autism diagnosis is around the help with communication. Now it could start out early in life. You may be non-speaking. You may have some delayed. Speech, you may need speech pathology or some sort of assistance, or you might just not talk at all, right? There might be other issues. There are some key things to look out for, you know, later in, I guess not later in life, younger in life. And as an adult, you can look back. People, no one forgets this kind, of, this kind of stuff. Another thing for me, this is big. Do you tend to interpret language literally? Now, of course I do. Because how else do you interpret it? To me, words are words. Words are words. It's black and white. If you're talking to me and I've interpreted it in a black and white fashion, a literal fashion, and you say I've taken it the wrong way, I think to myself, what are you, like an evil genius? What are you trying, are you trying to trap me? Like, seriously, well, then to tell me what you wanted to say. And you might think, well, how stupid is that? Like, you, everyone talks in riddles and blah, blah, blah. And Well, I don't. I don't talk in riddles. I don't sugarcoat things. I say what I mean and mean what I say, right? That's just, so that's another sign. Also, another sign or trait is that you have a large vocab. And this happens, like sometimes I say some autistic kids, even prior to diagnosis, talk like little professors. Now, of course, all autistic people are different. There are non-speaking autistic kids. There are autistic kids that have other comorbidities, say intellectual disability or whatever. So everyone's different. But this idea that there's a large vocab there, but then you struggle with just using words, right? Using the language in like social situations, in situations that aren't just with yourself. This is me too. Sure, I know the big words. I struggle to put them together or in the right context or the way they should be used when I'm talking to other people. And how about this one? Difficulty reading social cues or situations. We've talked about this in many videos and podcasts. So the idea as an autistic person, because of this social communication and interaction, I guess, portion of the diagnosis, it's just 
a natural issue, a natural challenge as an autistic person, me included. It's almost impossible to understand or to read body language, facial expressions, emotions. You know, they, they show you those cards of people doing different emotions or expressions. It's not a good rating for me. I don't tend to do, I don't know. I think that guy's constipated. It's like, you know, no, he's not constipated. I think that guy's annoyed that he's run out of Milo. No, he's angry. Well, there you go. See, he's ran out of Milo and he wants some bloody Milo. No, it's apparently not the right answer. The body language, the verbal cues, the nonverbal cues. Understanding that there's, believe it or not, there's words in between words. There's meanings, different meanings. And oh, oh my goodness. So you can imagine, right? If every day in every interaction, you actually have to be able to navigate verbal and nonverbal cues and body language and expressions and these signs and the tone of the voice. It's impossible. That's a sign. That's a trait. By the way, people go, oh, why are you always so loud? Or why is your tone always so aggressive or something? It's like, for starters, I don't have any idea of the volume or the tone of my voice. This is me just talking. You might watch shows on TV that feature, you know, like actually autistic people. And you might think they kind of talk like they're projecting or they talk like an old school narrator or something. And it's like, you know what? They don't know that. That's just talking. That's just us naturally talking. Also, do you need help to understand if particular behaviours are appropriate in a situation? I mean, I do. And, and there's a couple of things. Humor's the first thing. Or you can't act like that or you can't behave like that or you can't do this or that and blah, blah, blah. There's so many rules and I find it bizarre. You know, the, the funny thing is everyone lives on the same planet. So why are there different rules? It's like behavior, you can behave a certain way on a sporting field. You can behave a certain way in school, in the workplace, at home. This makes no sense to me. It's like if I go to work, I could report someone or be reported by someone to HR for behaving a certain way. But then if I do this same thing or receive the same treatment at home, I'm not reporting anyone. Well, sometimes you're just going to be honest with people or talk to them in a matter-of-fact way or I don't know. <laughs> it's bizarre. I find it bizarre to me. Yeah, understanding behaviour and when it's appropriate and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a tricky situation and you definitely need... Help. My wife is my gatekeeper at one out of 10 times. It works. Okay, tier number two. This is a good one. Restricted repetitive behaviors. The signs and traits. Repetitive motor movements, use of objects or speech, insistence on sameness, inflexibility, adherence to routines or ritualized patterns of verbal or nonverbal behavior. This is from the DSM-5. Restricted Fixated interests that are abnormal in intensity or focus. This is me every day. Hyperactivity to sensory input or unusual interests in sensory aspects of the environment. All right, so what does this mean? Let's break this down. Some actual signs and traits to look out for again from this amazing amaze document. Under or over responsive senses. Now, I can look at it like proportionate or disproportionate responses to sensory inputs. So unusual reactions to all the senses. You might hear something and it has a proportionate, disproportionate, or unexpected reaction to you. Does that make sense? So noises that aren't that loud may startle me, or noises that are unexpected may make me disproportionately startle or get angry or... There might be particular textures or smells, touch, taste. This type of disproportionate is under or over response, which either way is disproportionate to particular sensory inputs, is a clear sign or trait. Also, 
you might be a bit of a fidgeter, a bit of a wriggler, right? In, in neurotypical worlds, you can just say, you know, you're just always fidgeting and wriggling and you can't sit still, right? Ants in your pants, whatever. In the autistic world, that's not the case. These movement breaks, stimming is what we call them. So self-stimulatory behavior. So you may see autistic people, they may have putty or fidget spinners or, you know, all poppers, all different types of things. Now, they do these things to regulate. So moving is regulating. When you find yourself in a situation where maybe there's sensory inputs that are just too much for you at the moment, they're kind of triggering you, you're finding them disproportionately impactful to you as opposed to everyone else, you start to stim, you start to try to regulate yourself, which can be moving, can be doing the strangest positions. That's why you might see special wobble chairs and all these types of things. And that's a clear sign, a clear trait with regard to that behaviour, that repetitive behaviour. See, stimming is repetitive, right? It's pretty repetitive because... All you're doing is just playing with a putty constantly, fidgeting, playing with a fidget spinner, like rocking back on a chair, moving around. Like it's repetitive and it's, it can be quite confronting for people who aren't autistic. But it's, it's actually because of that disproportionate response and then it's just how you regulate and bring your body back. So it's super important. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the signs and that's a sign. Now, preferring structure and routine. It's a big thing. Structure and routine helps autistic people not only process conversations and information but regulate their lives that's a sign that's a trait do you need that do you need that as in life or death do you need to be prepared i mean ahead of time supported to do new things what's the plan that that might be a question you, you might ask a lot a sign or a trait you might need support and time transitioning to new things right you can't just say all right tv's over or turn off the playstation right you can't just go from one to the other it can't just be snap Next, but it doesn't work like that for an autistic person. Also, executive functioning can be a big issue, a big challenge. So, you know, do you need support with time management, with tasks, planning things, achieving things, completing things, executive function style challenges? Now, this restricted repetitive behaviours, we talk about things like narrow interests. Some people call them passions. Some people call them special interests. It's basically an intense interest in one particular topic, one particular field. Like, so for me, it's content creation, the performing, the radio, the video, the podcasts. So this is a, a really key sign or trait. And when I say that, I mean like there is a narrow interest that's not only intense, it's really your life and everything else just gets in the way. It might be a little bit left of field or is that the right word? Left of center, off field, on the field, or catching the ball. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, it could be unusual. Your interest, which is super intense, can be quite odd or it might be a regular standard accepted interest or topic but you have an extraordinarily that sounded like i was drunk i'm not <laughs> on life you might have an extraordinarily unusual level of interest does that make sense either it's an unusual topic or you just it's off the scale the intensity and the interest you have on that topic it's disproportionate to living normal life you don't need to know that much stuff and the final part in the science and traits about this repetitive behaviour, I guess it comes around body movements and also just behaviours. For kids, you'll hear the classic things like, oh, did your kids line up toys? Do they like to watch the exact same show, the exact same movie over and over again? It's this kind of sameness that they need. And, and the lining up is really interesting. I find as you get older, you know, you might look around your office or your home and go, geez, it's, it's beautifully sorted and clean. I would say to you, you're lining up cars. You're lining up toys. Look at your office. Look at your desk. If it's beautiful and clean and sorted and just right, 
That is the equivalent of a child lining up objects, right? Everything's where it needs to be. I find my autistic son gets great comfort out of getting his like Pokemon cards or footy cards or whatever and just sorting them, sorting them into teams or colours or types. Does that make sense? For hours. It's, it's extraordinarily powerful. Also, have you heard of echolalia? It's basically when you repeat words or you repeat phrases. It's hard to explain, but look, put it this way. If, if you're one of those people, and I'm one of those people, you, you, maybe you like to repeat what people say, repeat words, repeat phrases. You might, I, I, I sound strange, but I still like repeat quotes or phrases from movies or TV shows or like in weird situations. And I don't know, it's just one of the, it, it's called echolalia. It's a, it's a real thing. It's another sign or trait of autism. Now, the other behavioural things, aside from like the lining up and you know, watching the same stuff. By the way, you watch the same stuff because you, you, it's comfortable and you know you can rely on it, right? There's no anxiety there. Anyway, we'll move on. You've heard the classic hand flapping. It's not, a, not like a movie where you might start hand flapping because you think the bath's too hot. I mean, I've, I see autistic people hand flap when they're just really excited or feeling joy or, or happy. So there's many different reasons for it. In fact, I think when it comes to kids, and I'm talking about you know, my own son, I reckon the flapping was two things. It was just pure, like, I'm so overexcited, I think I'm going to fly kind of, you know, they start flapping. Or I'm, uh, I'm feeling an emotion so strong, probably anger or whatever, so strong I can't understand it. And it just, you see what I'm saying? It's really the, the hard stuff. Spinning around, jumping around, you know, rocking in chairs, back and forth, constantly falling off chairs. This stuff, as I said before, is stimming. We're all regulating ourselves. And a lot of people go, can you stop? Can you stop moving on your chair? For goodness sakes, can you stop sitting on the couch on your head or neck or on your back? Or can you stop? For, you know, and it, a lot of the stuff you have to say because it's dangerous. But this stuff is actually, if you're an autistic person, this stuff is used to regulate. So these types of repetitive behaviors and these types of body movements that are used on a regular basis to the point where it's like, does this... Does this kid ever stop moving? Again, another sign or trait of autism. Now, the last thing I want to say about the whole what is autism is about an adult diagnosis. I was diagnosed as an adult, but you can only be born autistic. You can't acquire it. You can't get it. You can't catch it. No screen time leading to it. You have to be born. It doesn't happen after you're born. You have to be born with an autistic brain, right? Is it possible to make it through to adulthood? before receiving a diagnosis. Well, I've, yeah, it is. because I, I mean, I'm not the only person on the planet. In fact, there's a heat. Now, people go, oh, yeah, there's so many people being diagnosed. Like, seriously, it can't possibly be the case. Like, you know, 50 years ago, there weren't this many. It's the same argument. So Mount Everest wasn't there until it was discovered? No. Well, once we, once we discovered Mount Everest and we could actually physically explore it, that wasn't its birth date. <laughs> it was there. We hadn't discovered it. It's the same with an autistic brain. It's the hardest thing to understand, the human brain. So, of course, things are going to progress. Absolutely. You could be an adult who was born autistic, part of a lost generation. You could class it as someone who wasn't what the medical model would say was profoundly autistic, but still quirky and odd and weird and, and had challenges. And, you know, there's, it just snowballs. Either way, look at it like it's not a diagnosis later in life. It's a recognition. As an adult... When you receive that diagnosis, actually, it's a recognition. It's a recognition, yes, you are autistic. Now, the DSM-5 states that the signs and symptoms, this is really big for adults who are thinking about diagnosis, signs and symptoms may not fully manifest 
until social demands exceed limited capacities or may be masked by learned strategies in later life. Right, let's start with women. Horrifically, disproportionately underdiagnosed. It's, it's got to change. I can't change it, but and girls and women struggle to get a diagnosis compared to boys and men because of historically bad information. Okay, now what we know now is that girls, women, thrive in camouflaging, in masking, in being chameleons to fit in, and therefore don't really present to people around them or themselves in their minds as autistic. But that's because they haven't been themselves their whole life. It tends to be harder for boys and men to camouflage, to mask, to suppress their true selves. Certainly learned experiences that mask the real you that would provide a diagnosis. In addition to that, look at it like this. Let's say you're like me, you're an adult. And through life, you, your life wasn't easy. You were autistic. But you, you're a kid or you're a young person. Life's life. You, you've done okay. Not great, but okay. But then like me, you get a job. You have a wife. You have kids. You build a family, build a home. I don't need to tell you that all these things, every level of these things create new stress, right? New demands placed upon you. Your capacity hasn't changed, but earlier in life, your capacity was able to reach the demands, was able to cater to the demands. But now because of all these new pressures placed upon you, new demands placed upon you, your capacity hasn't grown and now it's well short. And now guess what? It's pretty obvious that you are autistic. And this is my story, right? My son and I were diagnosed at pretty much the same time. But for having kids and a wife and, and these types of things, but for that, I may have gone my entire life just thinking I was a really horrible person who no one liked and didn't deserve to be here. That's, that's a fact. That's actually what you think, what I thought. But no, I was different. I had a different brain. Of course, I was struggling in life. No one knew and no one could help me. Well, what do you think is going to happen? For people listening from adult point of view, just think about it. Have you got to the point in life where you're your capacity is unable to reach your daily demands and stresses placed upon you. That's part of the diagnostic criteria. Food for thought. Either way, like I said at the start, if this is something that you have resonated with, this isn't a diagnostic tool, simple. Have a chat to your family and friends if you'd like to talk about it more and you may want to consult your local general practitioner and, and go from there. My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Hey, thank you so much for listening to My Friend Autism. I do appreciate it. It's amazing to have you listening. And if this episode has reached you, has resonated with you, has hit home, would you share it with your family and friends for me? We want to reach more people. And that is one simple goal. So we can raise that level of understanding, appreciation and acceptance of the autistic community. You can continue the chat with me. Say hi and like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook or send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. All I'm asking is you'd open up your hearts and minds to people a little bit different to you and embrace the benefits of neurodiversity. So until next time, thank you for opening up your mind and embracing differences. You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and binge all the podcasts, blogs and videos, visit orionkelly.com.au.